good blaster, the right crew, and no jobs too big. Heads up! Hello there, and welcome to a new episode of the Hyperbaric Reviews with your two hosts, two men who can usually get a job done in less than 12 parsecs. It's Bread Roll and JT. <laughs> That's a good one, Bread Roll. I didn't think you were going to come out with that. Yeah, nice one. Hello, everyone. We're back again. Um, your choice this week, Bread Roll, in fact, isn't it? And um, one I'd only ever seen once before. So, what are we looking at? Well, it was my choice, and I went for Solo, a Star Wars story, and I'm not quite sure why I went for this one. It just popped into my head, and I fancied watching it again. Um, but yeah, I've not seen it many times. Um, it, of course, was directed by, well, a couple of different people. Um, there was this is a movie that's kind of like synonymous for being in production turmoil for a while and having a few issues, but it ended up being credited to Ron Howard, who I believe stepped in at the last minute. It stars Alden... Irin Reich, I think that's how you say his name, Woody Harrelson, Amelia Clark. Uh, it came out on May the 25th, 2018. It runs for 135 minutes. It had a budget of 275 to 300 million. It came back with a box office of 393.2 million. So it didn't really make a huge amount of money. But I remember when this movie was coming out and the reviews, and it's kind of almost being thrown under the bus by Disney themselves. It was all over the place. And I was a bit trepidatious about going to see this. Um, just a little plug there, it's actually my birthday, May the 25th, um, and my girlfriend or Rach took me to go and see it um, on my birthday, which is pretty cool. But I went in there thinking, I don't think I'm going to like this because, in my opinion, there's only one Han Solo. Um, well, I've got exactly the same thing here, Brad. Well, picking up on a couple of things you said there. Yeah, I, I saw the box office and thought that was pretty poor. But again, like you say, there was a lot of negative vibes about it before it even came out. Um, and also... I don't know, maybe it being a spin-off from the main story, some people weren't interested. But yeah, I was a bit surprised by that. Um, and I'm glad you tried to pronounce old um, Matey Boy's Alden's name first, because I looked at that earlier and thought, oh, fucking hell, I don't even know how you say that. <laughs> um, but you saying there about obviously you seeing it on the day it came out, I didn't see this until it came on Disney+. Plus. It was during lockdown, and I was bored, so I decided to do a Star Wars marathon and just watch the films in order. Um, in actual story order, not that order they came out. Um, and I thought, I'm going to have to watch fucking Solo in the Disney films, because I hadn't liked any of them apart from Rogue One. I hadn't liked any of the story ones. And also, as you said, there's only one Han Solo, isn't there? It's Harrison Ford. And I was like, there's another guy playing Han Solo. This is not going to work. So it took me ages to see it. Um, and when I first saw it, I did quite like it. I was pleasantly surprised. I don't want to give too much away now on whether my thoughts have changed. But yeah. It was definitely one I wasn't looking forward to watching. Yeah, I mean, I've only seen it a couple of times. Like I, said, I saw it when it literally the day it came out. Um, I thought, okay, I left the cinema thinking, you know, that wasn't actually too bad. And then I watched it when it came out um, on home video. It was obviously, for lack of a better term, <laughs> home Blu-ray doesn't quite sound right. Um, does it? No, but I got the um, the 4K version because I'm a snob and I watched it. Uh, mainly to see what the picture quality was like. So I'll touch on the way it's shot. It's a bit weird. It's a bit murky as a film. Um and watched it and I thought you know I actually quite like this film but it's not one I've watched over and over and again like it was another weird one wasn't it like just to bring out of nowhere because Disney had started their their trilogy so to speak they did obviously episode seven um 
Then they threw Rogue One in there the following year, which just felt really out of place, although Rogue One turned out to be a bloody good film. Then it was obviously episode eight, and then they just threw this random spin-off movie in there out of nowhere, and it's like, at the time, I remember thinking, and they're throwing a lot at this really quickly. Surely they should just sort out their trilogy, get that out, get it done, see how they do, and then start focusing on all these spin-offs, but they did kind of go at it quite hard, didn't they, and almost like oversaturated the market like too quickly. They went mad, didn't they? It was like, we've got Star Wars, what do we do with it? Let's throw shit at the wall, see what sticks. Because they were announcing TV series left, right and centre. Obviously, we've had a few of them now. But yeah, it's just every day you looked at social media or something, there was a new Disney Star Wars thing being announced. I couldn't keep up with it all. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. But um, yeah, I mean, I remember liking this film. So obviously, we'll see what the actual score is going to be at the end and how I felt sitting down and watching it a bit more analytically last night. Um. So let's take a crack at the old synopsis, and this is coming from Wikipedia as usual, and it goes a little something like this. So, on the planet Corellia, orphans Han and Kira escape a local gang. They bribe an Imperial officer with stolen starship fuel, known as Coaxium, for passage on a transport. But Kira is captured before she can board. Han vows to return for her and joins the Imperial naval as a, as a flight cadet, being given the surname Solo. That is a very quick snapshot of the opening 15 to 20 minutes of this uh, particular movie. What were your thoughts uh, watching it after all that time, JT? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought that as well. That's four lines. It's about the first 20 minutes of the film. So a fair bit happens here, just setting up, obviously. I mean, we know who Han Solo is, but she's setting up the early Han Solo. We don't know. I mean, it opens with the iconic a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, but we don't get the familiar music and we don't get the rolling thing, do we? It's just a static image. Then we get old Han Solo, hot wire and a speeder. And I think these scenes were filmed in Newbury because I was living down south when this came out and it was on the Southern News a fair bit that they were filming in Newbury, so not far from where I was and where you still are, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I think it was quite local. Um, it's pretty good. I mean, when they did Rogue One and this, just um, when those are coming out, I was thinking, are they going to do the classic kind of like, like say the music to scroll type thing? So I was thinking... That kind of should just be reserved for the actual Star Wars proper movies, like the Saga movies. I'm not sure if it'll work for spin-offs. And with Rogue One and this, they didn't do it. But you do get a bit of a, like, say, the long time ago, Galaxy Far, Far Away. And then it, like, does a little bit of, like, text thing, doesn't it? It's like, um, yeah. on the streets of Corellia, there's a lot of crime. It's, a, you know, the Empire is doing this, that, and the other. One man wishes to kind of, you know, save the day or whatever, or, like, escape and make something better for himself. And then it just cuts into him hot-wiring that, hot that fucking chalk ice of a speeder that he drives. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we kind of were straight into like a little bit of a car chase for that or speeder chase, aren't we, with um, him and uh, Kira or Amelia Clark? Yeah, I like that chase. It's quite good. Um, I will say Kira, Amelia Clark. I mean, old Han Solo's done all right with the lady suddenly. I mean, he, he got her at that point, then he gets Princess Leia later on. So um, does all right. I mean, we know he's a ladies' man anyway, but yeah, big thumbs up to him there. Yeah, he does all right, don't he? And Disney um, or Star Wars in general. They have a certain look that they like for their their like leading ladies, don't they? When you look at uh, Amelia Clark for this one, but also when you look at you know Carrie Fisher, and then um oh, I can't remember her name, but the woman who played Jin Erso in Rogue One, they've all got that very similar kind of look to them, like the dark hair and all that stuff. And it's not a bad look at all, but it just seems to be the look for a Star Wars lady. That's a good point, actually. I'm thinking about it. Have we had any? Obviously, Luke Skywalker's blonde. He's not a lady, but have we had any blonde characters in Star Wars? They're all dark haired, aren't they? The men and yeah, the ladies. Yeah, because Daisy Ridley, um, she's dark-haired, isn't she? Or like yeah. Mousy Brown or something, from what I remember. But yeah, there's no like, you know, Hollywood blondes or anything like that. They're blondest. Get Margot Robbie in there for the next one. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that? I mean, 
the way you obviously used to say about the way this is shot, this whole opening scene is very blue, isn't it? It's, it's a real blue tint to it, I noticed earlier. Yeah, it is really strange. I know they weren't happy with how it was shot, and it did go through loads of reshots when Ron Howard came back in. I think this is a lot of the stuff that he redid. But, yeah, it's got a blue tint to it, and it's just it's very murky, I think. Like, even watching it in, like, 4K and stuff, like, the HDR, like, kicked up. It just, something about it just looked a little bit grimy. And, yeah, it does kind of add to, like, the depressive look of this Corellia planet that they're on. But especially when they go into the tunnels, into these sort of, like, you know, sewer tunnels type thing, and there's, like, this big fucking worm alien that they all seem to bloody work for. It just was a very dark-looking movie. Like, it was kind of like, I felt like my glasses are a bit fogged up, but for once, they're actually clean. <laughs> Mine aren't. Right now, I'm looking at them. I'm thinking, fine, I can't read this. Um, yeah, it's Proxima, isn't it? That giant bloody worm caterpillar thing with an old lady's voice. I don't know who voiced her, but strange voice. Um, I do like the bit, though, when Han's there and he plays the old uh, thermal detonator trick with the rock and he does a click noise. I thought that was quite a nice little comedy moment. Yeah, because she's like, that's not a thermal detonator. You just made a clicking sound with your mouth. And he's like, no, I didn't. Yeah, he does all right, doesn't he? This old Austin mm. fucking, I don't know, Heidenreich, Hagen does, whatever his name is. Um, the guy who plays him, I was like, you know what? He's He's got the kind of the look to it. And he, I think he was clever because throughout the movie, as we'll probably touch on, I don't think he was trying to be like Harrison Ford because that just wouldn't have worked. Like, obviously, it's a much younger Han Solo. So he's kind of thrown his own kind of thing behind it. And I think that's probably why it works like him playing the character better than I thought it was going to do. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right there. I mean, the, the speed of chase ended in typical Han Solo style, then it, what's this? And then it goes a bit wrong, but they do get away. Obviously, the synopsis is there, but they blagged that guard. And then obviously they're, they're trying to get through. Uh, Kira gets dragged away from him. The door closes. Why didn't they grab him as well? He just stands there for ages going, don't worry, don't worry, I'll, I'll come back and get you and everything. I'm like, why don't they just open the door and get him as well? They just let him go. Yeah, I thought that. And he manages to blend in with the crowd really easy, doesn't he? They're like, oh, there he is, there he is. And he like runs off and everyone else is standing still. So that would have been obvious. And he just like grabs some geezer's coat, puts on like a fucking communist hat. And suddenly like no one realises who he is. But I do like the, <laughs> it's cheesy as fuck, but like he looks over at like the Imperial recruiting office and they got the fucking Imperial march playing, but like a propaganda tune, aren't they? It's like, join the Imperial Navy. And it's like, da, 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 da. It's like, fuck, you know. Yeah, it's quite good that bit. I mean, there are some quite good little comic touches here, but they're also sort of subtle touches that Star Wars fans would pick up on as well. So they both work really well. But <laughs> the old guy was pretty easy to blag, wasn't he? He just turns up and goes, yeah, my name's Han. Uh, what, well, what's your family name? Well, I haven't got anyone else. I'm on my own. Then he finds him. He's like, yeah, I want to be a pilot. He's like, all right, off you go over there, then join. It's like, is, that, is it that easy? I mean, I guess they were desperate for people and whatever, and they'd like to manipulate people, but it seems pretty easy to join, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, they weren't really like, you know, any sort of background checks or anything like that. I mean, I know like most of the people in the fucking uh, Empire are a bit shit, aren't they? Like stormtroopers can't shoot or anything like that. So they obviously weren't recruiting like the best of the best. But I do kind of like the way he gets his name when he's like, oh, you know, who are you? Who are you? And he's like, oh, I'm Han. He's like, well, who are you with? Who are your people? And he's like, oh, it's just me. So he's like, hmm, Han, ooh, Solo, and just puts him in like that. And I thought, well, it's good yeah. enough way as any for him to get his name. Yeah, it's quite good, quite clever. Again, clever little touch. But yeah, it just made me laugh, I suppose. Like, you know, they haven't really got time to do a medical and all that kind of shit. It's just like, right, go over there, off you go. Yeah. <laughs> so three years later, Han is serving as an infantryman in Mumban following his expulsion from the Imperial Flight Academy for insubordination. He encounters a trio of criminals posing as Imperial soldiers led by Tobias Beckett. Han attempts to blackmail Beckett into telling him to join the gang 
Beckett has him arrested and thrown into a pit to be fed to a Wookiee prisoner named Chewbacca. Able to understand Chewbacca's language, Han persuades him to cooperate to escape. Beckett, aware of the usefulness of a Wookiee's strength, rescues and enlists them in his gang to steal a shipment of coaxium at Vendor 1. The plan, falls, the plan fails when the Cloud Raiders, a band of space pirates led by Enfys Nest, arrive to hijack the shipment. The resulting chaos leads to the destruction of the coaxium and the deaths of Beckett's partners, Val, and their crewman, Rio. I do like this. Um, I'd forgotten when I went to watch this movie that Woody Harrelson was in this, but um, I think he's brilliant, old uh, Tobias Beckett. He's a great character. He's a good character. And when I first watched this, this was the second time today, but when I first watched it in lockdown, I didn't even know he was in it because I'd kind of avoided all this stuff about it because I just couldn't be arsed with it. I was like, hold on, is that Woody Harrelson in that opening scene there? The fight scene, which looked more like Saving Private Ryan than Star Wars. Um, obviously, they've got um, lasers and not normal guns, but the setting was very sort of, I don't know, like Saving Private Ryan. But yeah, it was a very pleasant surprise. And I saw, saw Woody Harrelson, so I do like him. I quite like the way that, um, this um, fight, this battle sequence is shot. Like, it's really kind of like just dark and gritty, like a proper kind of war zone, so to speak. And I kind of feel like we should have seen Han in the Navy a bit more, like in the Academy. Like, I don't know, it would have been a montage or something like that. But I just feel like it cuts from him joining and then suddenly it's like, right, he's on the battlefield and stuff. And the stuff it tells you there in the synopsis, we don't really find out by later. And you only kind of find out by just kind of assuming that's what happened. But kind of wish we'd have seen more of him sort of like joining and like learning to be a pilot and being a bit of a, you know, being a bit of a thorn in the side of whoever his superior was. It would have been good, wouldn't it? I mean, this film runs quite long, so I don't know if they'd have wanted to make it any longer or had to cut something else out. There are a few maybe drawn out scenes they could have shortened. Um, maybe something was shot and never shown, who knows? Um, but yeah, I mean, we find out he's he got well, fired from the Academy whatever, for insubordination, but that's only when he tells old Beckett, doesn't he? When he sort of tells him he knows who he is and he's worked out that he's got that bed guy's uniform or whatever, but he works out pretty quickly, Han, considering he's not, I wouldn't say he's not that clued up at the moment, is he? He's still young and very raw, but he seems to figure shit out really quickly still. He does, yeah, and he's got like a bit of charm in that about him, a bit of swaggerish, um, you can imagine. So you can tell like Beckett, he doesn't really give a shit, but he, he, there's something about Han he kind of likes, and obviously it comes down to Woody Harrison's acting. I think just the way he's kind of like looking him out of the side of his eyes, like there's something about you. But then he's like, oh yeah, having thrown to like the beast, and we get him meeting Chewie and stuff. I thought that was pretty well done. Yeah, one thing though, when he gets chucked into the cage where Chewie is, they, they lob him in, he, he lands on his back, doesn't he, just full on. And he doesn't seem to be that injured by it. And then Chewie starts throwing him around and he just gets up and carries on. It's like, fucking hell, he's a tough guy. Yeah, right. I did think, I said at the Rachel, I was like, there's about three times in this section where he should probably be dead right now. Because at one point, Chewie, like, fucking picks him up and, like, slams him into this, like, pole in the middle. And that's obviously what they decide they were going to knock down to try and free themselves and stuff. I'm thinking, well, you know, we know how strong a Wookiee is. That's a solid steel pole in that. You know, I'm fairly sure he would be, like, have a broken spine or something. You would think so. And also, obviously, he, he knows a bit of Wookiee or whatever it's called, Wookish. I don't know what the language is called, but where would he have learned that? I mean, he, he sort of goes back to Chewie, doesn't he? Really quite funny, actually, the way he does it. Um, but where would he have ever picked that up? So, I mean, it's, it's not a language, is it? It's just fucking noises. Yeah, exactly that. It's actually just like when you, like, gargle on some fucking Coca-Cola or something. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> and it's been a Wookiee. Sorry, I was just going to say, most Wookiees are like in captivity, you know, they've, they've got slave Wookiees a bit later on, we see, and they got banished from Kashyyyk or whatever. So where would you have come across a Wookiee to learn their language? Because 
I wouldn't have thought you'd go to school and say, I know what, I want to learn Wookiee. It wouldn't be your first choice, would it? Well, exactly, considering he's from like the ass end of the outer rim, like most of these sort of rogues <laughs> and scoundrels are. Yeah, there's no Wookiees out in the desert, is there? Not, not that we know of anyway. Um, but yeah, it's a bit strange, isn't it? And it, it's the first time as well, I think we've actually seen him talking to Chewie. One, in, um, I don't know what it is, like Kashiki in, like, say, um, Wookiee language. But two, we also get these subtitles to see what they're actually saying to each other, don't we? Normally, in all the old ones, it was just Chewie making random noises. And Harrison Ford would just respond in a way that you kind of knew what Chewie said by how he responded, which I always thought was really good. But this is the first time we actually see the dialogue going back and forth between them. Yeah, it's a bit strange, isn't it? Because you'd have thought Han would have carried that on to the Harrison Ford one as well. Just, you know, the old quip back to him. But obviously they needed a way to get him and Chewie out of this thing. So that was kind of their, they had to sort of think of some way. And I think it's a bit flimsy, to be honest. Yeah, because I was thinking about, um, I know you're not a big fan of like the, the wider extended universe, but in the original versions of the books, before Disney bought it and redid it all and kind of just did the same thing anyway, um, How Han Met Chewie, which sounds like it should be a show on its own, um, <laughs> he was obviously working for the Imperial Navy and they were like enslaving all the Wookiees of Kashyyyk to, for like cheap labour and they were like, abusing them and stuff like that. Um, and that was like the last straw for Han. He was like, no, nah, fuck this. So he sort of like pulled a coup freed the Wookiees and um, one of them being Chewbacca which is how they get their life debt of each other um, and that's how he leaves the Empire so they kind of do it like that in this but not quite but then like we see the enslaved ones later on Kessel when we get there but that was the original story of how they kind of like he met sort of Chewbacca. Okay that makes sense more that way but they wouldn't have had time to do all that in as well so I suppose they condensed it into a bit which worked for this sort of film. Um, I tell you what though we obviously meet is it Rio don't we? He annoyed me. He's one of those annoying Disney characters who's just got the one-liners and stuff. But for me, it didn't work. He was just, he's just fucking really annoying. Yeah, yeah, he is um pretty annoying. I I just feel like um I don't know. I, I, he's one of those characters like you could have been anyone. There was not really much point. I know Star Wars is all about the you know the funky aliens and the droids and stuff. That's what brings it to life. But yeah, he just he could have just been any type of character to be honest. But we also get um is it Phoebe Waller-Bridge? She plays um. Uh, Tobias Beckett's like girlfriend and she like she's a pretty like well-known actress and she only has like a bit of a bit part in this opening part of the movie yeah no she does the voice for L3 because I had to look that up um I can't remember who plays oh is it Thandui Newton is that yes the one? I think yeah, she plays yeah 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 because yeah, yeah. I was looking at earlier because I was getting confused who played who obviously I knew the main people um but yeah I had to check that out myself but it's a really random scene as well it's very quick and even um does question it where he's in the shower with Chewie and he's like could you have not waited or something I just think that was quite funny I was like why also, is he in the shower with you the thing is why is there even a shower on that fucking ship because it's not like an actual like frigate or like starship is it it's a loader so why would the loader come complete with like a shower facility and good job it's obviously got like high ceilings because otherwise Chewie wouldn't fit in there <laughs> good point um, yeah I mean they needed to get that mud off somehow I think because when they're having that fight I was like fuck me obviously at one point Chewie pushes him nearly right into it but if it taken more than just a shower to get that mud out of Cheerio, I would have thought. I mean, I've seen people trying to wash dogs and stuff, and it's not easy. Yeah, absolutely. But then, obviously, they end up joining um, this sort of, like, ragtag crew, so to speak. Um, and it, that's not like there's a bit where they're sort of, like, talking to each other, and he's like, yeah, yeah, we'll do this one good job, we'll make some money, and then we'll both be free. And he's like, oh, what's your name? And Chewie kind of, like, makes a weird noise, and he's like, oh, Chewbacca, that's cool, but I'm not calling you that. And that's pretty cool. So I don't actually recall Han ever calling him Chewbacca. He's always a, only ever called him Chewie, isn't he? Yeah, no, you're right. Apart from when he calls him a furball or whatever else he calls him. But <laughs> normally he just calls him Chewie. Yeah, it's a good shout. 
that when they're doing that train job and they're staking out at first, it did remind me of Breaking Bad, even though it's nothing like it. I think it's just because they're doing a train heist. Yeah, that's a good call, actually. <laughs> when they, they still like the chemicals and stuff in Breaking Bad. But I thought this um this sequence, I mean, that little bit around the campfire beforehand is pretty cool because you see um Tobias give uh Harney's blaster and he which obviously a blaster he keeps and yeah. becomes this kind of like iconic weapon that's that was pretty cool so we're laying the foundations quite well but this whole kind of train heist sequence I thought was really good it's like really fast paced lots of action you know a bit of comedy going back and forth and it felt like a kind of end of movie sequence because it's quite full on and then obviously old four-armed what's his name dies and what's her face has to blow herself up she's got the viper droids coming down but it's pretty full-on sequence I thought yeah I really liked it um, although they seem to be able to stand up on top of those trains pretty easily because the stormtroopers <laughs> come along at first, they've got fucking magnetic boots on. I don't think any of our guys have. They just seem to be walking on them normally. But yeah, it's a really good um, sequence. I like the whole thing. Um, in his nest, when we first meet her, we find out a bit later on, spoiler alert, <laughs> the dialogue. But uh, Star Wars, isn't it? It's, it's like, where are your harpoons? And <laughs> it's not really said like that, but it's just the, the cheesy dialogue and everything that's just synonymous with Star Wars. They managed to keep it in, and, and I don't think it would have worked with any other franchise apart from this. No, it is. There's so much Star Wars can get away with, isn't there? <laughs> and I think it is just like that cheesy stuff. But yeah, Emphis Nest, um, it's just proof again. Like when we did the original Star Wars trilogy, and I sort of mentioned then, like masked characters, I think are usually better off remaining masked because she's just mm. never. Um, one at the end of the movie line she takes her mask off and no disrespect to the actress but it's just a disappointment it's like you were cooler and more mysterious and had a bit more about you when you were wearing the mask um because when you first meet you got this like crazy fucking voice and everything going on and really fast fighter and you're like all right what, what's this thing all about and then later on it just kind of like takes the kind of wind out of the sails of that character i think yeah i've got a thought on that which i'll say at the end um, when we do that actual part of the film um but i wasn't particularly shot when shot upset when Rio and Val died I have to say I thought they're both pretty pointless characters anyway and they're both quite annoying in their own way well I think they probably had to die because otherwise why would Han and Chewie need to stick with Beckett because he's obviously yeah. the bigger actor they're just going to keep Woody in there a bit longer so there had to be a reason for Beckett to need them with him because otherwise why you know what would be the point of him having a crew in the first place I do like the fact that um although he never turns up on screen we actually get a mention of Bosk don't we she's like oh why you got these two you know we should hire someone or we should get like Bosk in or something and I'm like we still need to get Bosk back on screen because I liked him in the originals even though he's there for like 10 seconds yeah yeah I did pick up on that myself as well I mean fair play to old um what's her name Val she does a Vasquez doesn't she and blows herself up and sacrifices herself to blow the bridge up so at least she had a point in dying yeah, and there's a bit here that I I I hadn't thought about it in the previous times I watched it, but again because I was watching it a bit more, like Han's flying the ship at this point, and they've got like the coaxium, and they've got all like Enfys fucking bird nest or whatever it is. They're trying to pull it away as well, and um he's like, oh we've got to let the we've got to let it go, and Beck is like, no no you don't do it, don't be a coward, and he drops it, and obviously you get a really cool explosion and everything, and I was thinking, is that going to be like a prelude to, um like what Greedo says to him, because he's like, Jabba's got no time for smugglers who drop their cargo at the first sign of danger and all that sort of stuff. And I'm like, is that like a little nod there? Because obviously he didn't even bother trying to fight Emphis Nest or anything. Tobias was like, don't be a coward. And he's like, no, no, we've got to drop it. And he just drops it straight away. I just wondered if that was supposed to be a nod to that. I didn't pick up on that, but could well be, because there are a few nods to obviously 
the original films. Um, Jabba the Hutt never gets mentioned by name, but there's obviously pointers to where Han's going next after this one. Yeah, really good shout, and that wouldn't surprise me. I, as you said, there, that explosion's fucking mental. It looks amazing, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it does look really smart, and just the way that whole fucking like cliff just gets annihilated. I mean, I know Star Wars is full of like huge planets and galaxies, but that's pretty badass. I mean, imagine if the Death Star explosion was that good, because I mean that's a pretty shabby one, isn't it? I know the film's forty years old, <laughs> but that one does look a bit ropey. Well, yeah, that looks like someone just kind of like let a spark her off in front of a fucking black bed sheet, doesn't it? Bless it. But yeah, yeah, like you say, 40 years ago, what can you do? Exactly. So now Beckett reveals that he was ordered to steal the shipment for Dryden Voss, a high ranking crime boss in the Crimson Dawn Syndicate. Han and Chewbacca volunteer to help him steal another shipment to repay the debt so that Voss will not kill him. They travel to Voss's yacht, where Harnan finds Kira, who, just, um, who has just joined Crimson Dawn as Voss's top lieutenant. Han suggests a risky plan to steal unrefined coaxium from the mines of Kessel. Voss approves, but insists that Kira accompany the team. She leads them to Lando Carizian, a smuggler and pilot who she hopes will lend him his ship, the Millennium Falcon. Han challenges Lando to a game of cards, with the wager being Lando's ship. Lando cheats to win, but agrees to join the mission in exchange for a share of the profits. After reaching Kessel in the Falcon and infiltrating the mine, Lando's droid code pilot L-337 instigates a slave revolt. They steal the coaxium, but L3 is fatally damaged in the confusion and Lando is wounded during the escape. With the help of L3's navigational data uploaded into the ship's system, hand pilots the ship through the dangerous and uncharted Kessel Run to elude the Imperial blockade. There's sort of a big sort of like middle chunk in the movie there, but um, I, I really like Dryden Voss. I think he's a great villain and it's the guy, can never forget his name right, Paul Bettany plays yes. him really well. He's just like a really, he's a good actor anyway, I quite like him, but he's just straight away just a really cool character. And I like the way like when he gets angry, like he's got these cuts on his face and they kind of flare up and he's got these almost, they're not quite lightsabers, like these laser daggers. He's just, his whole design I think is brilliant. Yeah, he's a great villain. And like I say, he plays it really, really well. Yeah, I was impressed with him. Um, more so this time than when I first watched that. So he probably started paying more attention. Um, I mean, we get the little scene between Beckett and Han before they go and meet old Dryden. And um, Beckett asks Han, do you know, have any idea what it's like to have a price on your head? And obviously, in the later films or the earlier films, if you want to go in chronological order, Han definitely knows what that feels like. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And again, there's just so much foreshadowing in this movie. And it is actually quite clever because it really is setting up the kind of the stories and the character that we love and or know and love. And then a lot of the extended universe stuff starts coming into it now, like the Crimson Dawn Syndicate. And I'm sure for some people, like it's a bit of a shock when they find out who actually runs the Crimson Dawn Syndicate, as we find out right at the end of um, the movie, because for those not familiar with the Clone Wars cartoon or any of that stuff, probably didn't realise he was still alive at this point. I didn't know. So there we go. But then I don't, as you said earlier, I don't really know anything about the extended universe. It's something I've never bothered with. Um, I like old um, Dryden's yacht. It's pretty ornate, isn't it? And um, it's pretty cool. But why is there a fucking zombie chicken in a jar singing? That's pretty random. <laughs> Well, he's doing a duet with uh, Morchiba, isn't he? So he's doing yeah. right there. So. <laughs> but it's one of those fucking movie 101s. Kira just happens to be part of Crimson Dawn and happens to be on this yacht the day that Han goes to join them. It's like, well, <laughs> there, there goes his whole kind of like going back to save his princess sort of thing. He just didn't need to bother. He just needed to turn up there. That was my exact next line in my notes I've got here. Huge movie 101. I mean, it's one of the biggest ones we've seen probably three years down the line. And also, when he's having that little heart-to-heart with um, Beckett, Around the campfire, the couple of days before, before the train heist, 
he's pretty convinced that she's still going to be waiting for him there three years later. And, you know, a lot can happen in three years. And let's be honest, that place was a shithole. She probably wouldn't even be alive if she was still there. Well, yeah, and considering they were like, oh, you know, we've betrayed whatever her name was, old fucking Slugworth woman. I can't even remember the fucking thing's name. But it's like they were, like, convinced that they were going to get killed. It's like, okay, so, yeah, he was, like, clutching at straws already. But clearly she's done her eye for herself because she's all, like, clean. She looks quite glammed up. Clearly in a high... So like job, although Dryden Voss isn't the sort of guy I'd want to work for. He's a bit of a lunatic, but still. Yeah, exactly. I mean, she was dragged away, so surely she should have been banged up or executed. But anyway, again, just some flimsy plot holes there, I guess. But old damn Dryden's a bit touchy-feely as well, isn't he, with Kiro? He's like, you know, sort of, there's a weird, almost like, I mean, I read some bits on IMDb earlier, just a few trivia notes, and he was originally going to be some bloody dragon-like creature and then they thought the whole it's not really a love triangle but obviously he's got some certain feelings for her that just wouldn't have worked with this random creature so that's why they made him humish yeah that makes sense yeah because he's got this kind of like almost like abusive power isn't he like you can tell like he he covers her more like he likes the fact that he owns her she's like a trophy mm. for him like he obviously i mean she's a pretty woman and stuff um but you can tell like he's like to her she's like prize more than anything else and he doesn't want to kind of like let her go sort of thing and obviously Han coming into the mix he's kind of like a little bit wary of that but he still lets her go off and obviously do the mission with Han which is a bit strange as well really because he's only just met Han Beckett's already failed him and then he's going to send like his top lieutenant his prize possession off just for the sake of it yeah I thought that it's a bit random it also turns into some kind of narcos wars now doesn't it because obviously (laughs) they say about the pipes and they're like, we you know we've got a dodgy affiliation with them and Han's like, well, I haven't, I, I can go and do this. And I was like, fuck me, it's turning into narcos now. Yeah, it definitely is, isn't it? <laughs> and that's the side of Star Wars that I do like. And I know we've said mm. it before. It's like, no, no, they like the Mandalorian show, but this whole kind of scum and villainy side of Star Wars always just felt like fertile ground for like loads of really cool stories to be told because there's just so much going on in the Outer Rim. They should just do a series called The Outer Rim and then it's just all this all the bounty hunters and all that sort of stuff going on because it just feels like a whole side of Star Wars that we just don't really get enough sort of like insight into because it's always the Jedi. Oh, they probably will, Brad. Well, let's be honest. They'll yeah. probably get around to it at some point. But old Kira seems to have a bit of a wide on for Lando as well when she's describing him when they go to see him. Um, and I did like the whole card game. It reminded me of Del Boy and Boyce and I was sitting there wondering if that thing of all the eyes, thinking he must have an advantage. And I like the way Han points out. It's like, take your eyes off my cards. No, all of them. I thought that was good. A nice little comic touch again. Yeah, I, I do love these. Every sort of Star Wars movie seems to have the cantina type scene, doesn't it? Obviously, you've mm. got the original ones, but they go into this place. Like I say, Kira's like saying, oh, yeah, you know, this guy's name's Lando. He's, you know, charming. He's amazing. All that sort of stuff. And Han's just like, yeah, right, take it easy. You know, don't yeah. get a fucking wet floor sign out. We've not even gone in yet. <laughs> Well, at one point she says he's handsome and everything. She literally lists all these attributes he's got. And I'm thinking, if my girlfriend started saying that, I'd be like, hold on a minute. <laughs> Fucking hell, you're with me, not him. But anyway, there we go. But And he, he's smooth, like he is with Leia in the later films, um, with old Kieran. He kisses her on the hand and everything. It's almost like a, well, well, what do we have here moment? i got to say, I, I've never heard of Donald Glover before. That is who he plays him, isn't it? Donald Glover, yes. I think it is. Apparently he's some kind of hip-hop artist, but I'd never heard of him. I think he does a bloody good job of playing Lando. Like he's got the Billy D. Um, Wallace, is it Billy D. Wallace who played him originally, or Williams. Um, 
brilliant. He's just got that kind of like vibe to him and everything. I like obviously the clothes he's wearing, the fucking stupid silk shirts and all the fucking capes and everyone takes the piss out of him later. He's got like a whole wardrobe full of him and stuff. But I think he's got the character pretty solid and straight away, as soon as you know you see him at the card table, you're like, yeah, that's definitely Lando. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he's spot on. Yeah, I thought he was really, really good. Um, and then just when I thought, oh, we've got rid of the two annoying characters, that fucking L3 thing turns up, which that's um, Phoebe Willem from Phoebe Waller Bridge, which doesn't sound like her voice from what I remember, so I don't know what kind of accents he's trying to put on. But, yeah, I didn't get on with that character at all, especially the thing between her and Lando, which we'll get to. Um, and then we see the Falcon for the first time, obviously, which is uh, always nice. Yeah, I quite like them, the, this version of the Falcon. Um, you know, obviously, we see it before Han gets his fucking hands on it and it gets fucking blown to shit, which I think is quite funny, but we'll get to that bit. But yeah, L3 just annoys the shit out of me. I've never liked that character. But um, it is cool seeing the Falcon because I like how obviously Lando's obviously cheated at cards. We know he's got that thing up his sleeve and that. But Beckett comes along and you sort of like bars him down in. He's like, oh, yeah, I'll injure my ship for 50%. And Beckett comes along and eventually gets him down to like sort of 20%. He does, doesn't he? He says, he says um, 25, then he says 40, no, 25. And then the Falcon's been impounded, so he's like, right. He manages to get it free and says, right, 20% now. And Lana's like, yeah, fucking go on then. So, yeah, he, he does blag him quite hard, really. It is good as well, because like, we've never seen the Millennium Falcon clean before, have we? Like, they go in there and like, you see, like, Han, he's looking around and you can sort of see in his face, like, oh, I could see myself in a ship like this. This is lovely, but it's pristine, isn't it? Like the walls are wide, they're not grimy or dirty or anything. And we get a look at the um that oh, what's that game called? I also like that monster chess game that they play and Chewie's having his first game and losing. It just it's just a really good bit, I think, for the fans, isn't it, to see that ship, but see it, you know, before Han takes possession. Yeah, I liked all those scenes. It's nice seeing the inside of the Falcon, although obviously in a different way we've seen it before, but obviously you could make out what it was, even more so than in the other films and just the whole jump to light speed animation we get which is pretty much the same just obviously made to look a bit cleaner and then the chess or whatever you want to call it I can't remember what the actual name of the game is but it's basically funky chess isn't it and then Han and Kira have a sort of reconciliation moment and Beckett definitely isn't happy this is when he's like no you can't fucking have like her in, in here she's going to get in the way and all that sort of stuff yeah yeah absolutely and I gotta say like for, considering it's been three years I mean she's saying like I've been through a lot I've done some things we don't actually hear what she's actually done but she is hinting that you know I had to do a lot of you know dark stuff to stay alive all the shit Han's gone through it's like they only like it's almost like they didn't you know only broke up or missed each other like a week ago like straight away like she wants to be back of him he wants to be back of her and it's like there's no kind of like getting to know each other or anything is like straight away they're just back in love and being pretty sort of touchy-feely with each other again it is a bit weird, isn't it? Because she's like, oh, if I told you, you wouldn't like me or you wouldn't look at me the way you're looking at me now. And he went, yes, he goes, yes, I would. And, you know, if Kirsty turned around and said that to me, I'd be like, oh, OK, maybe alarm bells would be ringing a fair bit. Yeah, right, I'm after to reach for the scotch if I'm going to hear whatever story <laughs> this is going to be. <laughs> but it's finally cool to see Kessel. Obviously, we've heard about it constantly and it's nice to see it. And it was kind of how I imagined it was going to be. Yeah, I mean, like the Spice Mines, that's pretty much like the cocaine of Star Wars universe, isn't mm. it? And stuff. But I really liked um, the visuals of the planet. And in fact, the game Battlefront 2, when this movie came out, they did a free update and put this map on there. And it looked fucking brilliant. And I love playing on that map. But I just love the design of it. It's just like you know, really striking, vibrant yellow colours. And there's another little kind of Easter egg. Um, it's Beckett, isn't he? He dresses in the outfit that Lando wears to Jabba's palace in Return of the Jedi, doesn't he? That kind of bounty hunter thing with the tusks yeah. on it. 
He does. Yeah, I noticed that. Um, they, they're going to the um, coaxium vault in the basement or wherever it is. And L3 is doing directions over the fucking tunnel and she, well, over the intercom thing they've got in their ears. And she's like, yeah, uh, down to your levels, fresh level, right in the middle. I'm like, how would you remember that? It's all kicking off. But and then Han just runs up to this fucking guard, this one guard, golden guard in this vault with all this massively precious stuff in it. He kicks him in the nuts and he's in. I'm like, that's the easiest heist I've ever seen. Yeah, they have no issue. I mean, they obviously have a bit of a fight getting out again, which is a pretty cool sort of like, uh, they sort of free the Wookiees, don't they? The ones that have been enslaved and they're also like fighting their way through. But yeah, it's like, considering like how important that coaxium stuff is and they said it's literally worth like thousands just for the smallest barley they've ever been it's got one fucking poxy guard on the door who's clearly thick as shit because he just gets kicked in the bollocks and that's it yeah it's a bit bit ropey that isn't it and um, it's quite handy having the wookies to help load it into the falcon though isn't it because that shit's heavy obviously we see han struggling with it so that was definitely quite handy an old lander gets shot in the shoulder um l3 gets fucking shot to pieces but Somehow Lando manages to still carry, well, half of it, he sort of pulls her apart as he's trying to save her, but his shoulder's all shot up, but he just seems to be able to carry her with, like, no impact. Yeah, I thought it was quite funny, because he goes to pick her up, and she ends up, like, splitting in half or something. <laughs> and he's, like, limping along, then he's carrying her, and then Chewie picks him up, so it's like he's carrying her while Chewie's carrying him. It just looks fucking ridiculous. But again, like, Han and old fucking Kira and stuff, they're out there, like, shooting. There's all this gunfire going off, but they don't take any shots, even though they're just stood wide out in the open. Yeah, I know. It's pretty mad, isn't it? And then the whole Lando L3 thing, as I said a bit earlier, it's just weird, isn't it? It turns out Lando had a thing for her, or she thought he did, and I'm like, that's just strange, and there's no point in that. It's just really odd. Yeah, yeah, that is weird. I don't know what... It's just Disney trying to tick all these fucking, you know, boxes and everything, because I think the reason L3 annoys me, and it's probably going to piss a few people off, but I don't really care, is around this sort of time is when all the fucking feminists were kicking off again. What was 2018 this came out or something? Like, there was a lot of that shit going on. And there's a bit in there where she's in the pilot seat and um, he turns around and goes, oh, do you want anything? And she's like, oh, equal rights. And just a lot of her dialogue is just pushed around all that sort of thing. And I just thought, this is just shit. Yeah. It's just no need for any of it. And it's not even funny. And the droid was just fucking annoying. And again, it's just, why is all this stuff pushed in? They could have just said, you know, She's just a normal like droid who doesn't like seeing the other droids enslaved throughout the galaxy. That would have been enough. But the fact that they were just trying to like mesh it around with all these kind of like things that were going on at the time just annoyed me. Yeah, it's better with the top and it when all the other droids when she frees them, obviously she's saying liberation and all this sort of stuff. And yeah, fair enough. She's you know, the droids are being taken advantage of or whatever. But yeah, it's really over the top and a bit too much. But there we go. It's it's in there. And there is one quite funny bit where you see that power droid jumping all over the control desk going gom gom i thought that was quite good i thought that was brilliant because i love the old gonk droids but i'm thinking how the fuck did you get up there your stubby little legs i doubt you're going to jump are you did someone <laughs> lift you up and put you on that fucking thing i didn't think of that oh I, obviously you thought too much into that i just laughed when he was doing his gom bit <laughs> yeah i do like that and then there's a really cool shot here um it's just one it's not even that long of a shot but um they obviously take off they need to go through this kind of like fucking passage out of kessel and you see like a Star Destroyer, but it's like all this lightning and shit going on around it. And I just think that one shot just looks fucking amazing. And then they're like, oh, Han's like, oh, don't worry. They're not going to waste TIE Fires on us. And then obviously about 20 fucking TIE Fighters come out. I just love that whole look of the um, Star Destroyer coming down the passage. Yeah, I've got the same thing again here, Brad. Well, we're thinking quite alike on this. Yeah, it was good. We actually hear the, the Star Wars the, the Star Wars theme that everyone knows and loves as well. Don't we, for the first time in this sort of section here when they're fighting the TIE Fighters. Although one thing we've said before with some of these 
Star Wars reboots and spin-offs that Disney have done. This is supposed to be prequel, obviously, but some of the ships and stuff look more futuristic than the original ones. It's hard to get that timeline right in that respect, I think. Yeah, because that's one thing I think a lot of stuff is designed is just to sell more merchandise. And how can we have more toys that are different and stuff? But I know what you mean. It's like these are new versions. One of them looked like the Thai bomber, but it had like red crazy lights and shit on it. Yeah. It's like how many of these things were around? Because like you say, this is supposed to be kind of not early days of the Empire, but still kind of pre A New Hope timeline sort of thing. So why weren't these ships around during that when we saw the Empire fighting the Rebellion full on? It's just shit like that. Like, I know what you mean. It's just annoying. Yeah, because they look like older versions in A New Hope. And obviously it was supposed to be later on, but obviously it was 40 years before this was made. So that's why. But if you're looking at it as a pure Star Wars fan, that bit just doesn't stack up. But obviously we know why they did it. Then they have this weird fucking battle with a bloody octopus thing, don't they? And Han crashes the Falcon, but then gets Chewie to do some weird shit with it. And it, there's one scene here, it's very quick, the cut, and it looks like someone's just skidded a toilet seat along the ground where the Falcon's going along the ground and then it takes <laughs> off again. It's one of the only ropey sort of special effects scenes I thought in this whole film. And it's really, really quick. Yeah, I know, because he like kicks loads of like rubble up, doesn't he? And it like smashes yeah. through like the TIE fighter and the bit of the cockpit where the guy like gets all, like frozen and sort of, like stuff as a, as his glass breaks is pretty cool. But yeah, the bit where he sort of skims along the ground does look a bit shit. And this this whole bit with this fucking octopus thing, as you called it, I fucking hate because I thought, well, the Kessel Run, he's always like been proud of this. Oh, yeah, I made the Kessel Run in less than 12 parsecs and stuff. All it needed to be was just a really fast paced um sort of like chase sequence which it started off being and it was really cool like him zipping around he had the tie fighters after him and they're going for it um but then that whole bit of the octopus now i just thought it was a bit shit and it's like it's a bit of a waste because his big thing turns out flaps his tentacles around does jack shit and gets sucked into a fucking i don't know a vortex or something and dies they could have just done yeah. without that whole bit just had it as a really good fast-paced sort of like chasing just to show that obviously han solo even back in the day was an ace pilot yeah, it is a bit shit because there's there's no real point for that octopus thing. I mean, it's got more than eight legs, got fucking loads of them, but then it's got a weird mouth, so it doesn't look anything like an octopus. But when you first see its tentacle come out, you see the actual thing. The first thing I thought was octopus. Um, yeah, it's pointless because it serves no purpose really. And also, Beckett obviously goes to get that little bit of coaxium and inject it into the part of the Falcon or whatever he needs to inject it into the to make it boost and whatever. He seems to know what he's doing pretty easily, doesn't he? He's never been in the Falcon before, but he knows exactly where to fucking put this thing. I always think this in Star Wars, the amount of ships and everything, and someone's like, oh, I'm a pilot, and they seem to be able to fucking fly any type of ship, even though they all look completely different. And they're really weird as well. And they go, some of them have, like, cockpits, but they're, like, somewhere weird on the ship, not anywhere, like, fucking normal or anything. But, yeah, like you say, he seems to know, like, the engines and everything to be able to do that. So, fair play to him. But even so, it's a bit fucking stupid. Yeah, I mean, we get the bit where Han first gets into the cockpit and he just flicks loads of switches and off he goes. But, yeah, I mean, he doesn't even really look at them. I'm like, okay, fair enough. Never flown this thing before, but you seem to know what you're doing exactly as you said just there. But when it does escape, we do get a punch it, don't we, moment Han says to Chewie, although we don't get punch it, Chewie, just punch it. Yeah, I do like this. Like, the first time we see Han and Chewie in the cockpit together, that's really cool. And one thing I just thought was really good even though i didn't like the whole bit of the squid because obviously they put the coaxium in and it kind of like you get a whole where the engine sort of breaks down sort of empire strikes back style then he kicks in and they fly off but before that literally as soon as han gets his hands on the millennium falcon it goes completely shit and the whole back panels get ripped off and it gets fucked up straight away and it's like that's now it now looks like 
the Millennium Falcon that we know and love because before it looked all clean and everything and now that weird bit at the front that he um, ejects like the escape pod and then obviously yeah. it turns into the ship we like but I just thought that's just such a Han Solo thing isn't it as soon as he gets his hands on something it goes completely tits up yeah exactly but yeah it's good when we first see them in the um, the cockpit together and that's when we do get the theme tune so it sort of gives you that old school nostalgia doesn't it yeah there is one bit here and again it's probably me looking way too far into it but um, Lando says oh I installed an escape pod and stuff and that's what they eject off isn't it um, at the front so then we get that kind of like split front of the ship and he ejects it and that's supposed to be the escape pod but in A New Hope when they get taken into the Death Star after the um, search team's been on there when they're hiding under the ship and everything he's like oh several of the escape pods have been jettisoned and stuff so they must have got escaped in there and it's like well how many escape pods has it got because he's just launched the main one out the front I can't imagine a ship that size having too many other escape pods. So, again, it's probably just dialogue that doesn't mean anything. But, again, a continuity thing is just a bit of a blunder. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's not a very big ship, is it? No, not really. I mean, it's just literally it's an OK-sized ship. But it's not like a fucking Star Destroyer that would have, like, an entire crew. It's only ever going to have, like, four or five people, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So, the Falcon, badly damaged, lands on the planet Saverine to, to, process, yeah, to process the coaxium. Enfys arrives, having tracked the team from Vandor, and Lando leaves in the Falcon, deserting everyone else. Enfys reveals that she and her crew are rebels trying to strike back at the Syndicates and the Empire. Han becomes sympathetic to the cause and tries to trick Voss, who reveals Beckett has already alerted him to the Double Cross. Voss sends his guards to kill Enfys, but the Cloud Riders overpower them, leaving Voss defenseless. Having anticipated Voss's strategy, Han tries to take the Coaxium, but Beckett betrays Voss and escapes with it, taking Chewbacca hostage. Kira kills Voss and sends Han after Beckett. She contacts Voss's superior, Maul, to inform him of the mission failure, which she blames on Beckett. Maul orders Kira to meet him on Dathomir. Sorry, tripping over my words there. But um, yeah, a fair bit happens here, don't they? Like they sort of land on the um, the planet and they go for a drink and then just out of nowhere, fucking Emperor's nest turns up. Yeah, I mean, we get the famous Han telling everyone he did the, the Kessel Run in 12 parsecs. Obviously, that's a line that's pretty much synonymous with Han Solo. Um, yeah, and then Kira's being a bit fucking weird again here because she says to Han, oh, we can't be together, nothing can happen. And then she starts giving him mixed signals. I'm like, what are you trying to say to this poor guy? You're really confusing me. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit fucking harsh. It's just like, I just don't think the writers clearly knew what they wanted to do with her character. Like they obviously mm-hmm. had plans for her, obviously, with the way the movie kind of ends, um, when we obviously realise that she works for uh, Maul. Um, but nothing's ever come of it since that. It's a whole plot thread that's never been touched on again. I don't know if it's in the comics or anything, but she hasn't appeared in any more of the movies or the spin-offs so far. No, I do like the bit where old Emphis Ness turns up, though, and Han blags the Falcon's got 30 hard guns on it, and <laughs> Lando just fucks off. It's quite <laughs> funny. He's just like, see it, off he goes. Yeah. But, Obviously, you said there about the whole Emphis Nest reveal earlier not being great. And again, it's another one of those moments which is probably going to upset people. As you were saying about L3, I, I know why Disney did it. I mean, just look at the character. That's probably why she was in there. And I don't want to ruffle feathers, but I'm not going to say any more. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a fair shout. And that's probably exactly what it is. But it just seemed like there was no point to it whatsoever. Like the mask and in something like Star Wars, I think the mask makes the character. It's like there was no reason... I suppose there was a little bit, but Vader never needed to take his mask off, did he? We never needed to see his face properly because the Darth Vader character was exactly the suit and the mask, and that's what made him intimidating. Yeah, I mean, Emperor's Nest, 
is a pivotal character in this film. I don't know about the extended universe. I'd never heard of the character before. We do get Warwick Davis make a little appearance as well. We do. I think he's, I think he's been in like 10 Star Wars films I read earlier. And this is also first and only one, I think, with no R2-D2 and C-3PO. I kept expecting them to make an appearance in the background, but they don't. I think you're right on both accounts there. Yeah, I mean, there's not really much reason for them to have appeared in this one. But yeah, I think it is the first time that 3PO and R2 went in there. But yeah, Warwick has been in quite a few, hasn't he? I know he appeared in like um, some of the prequels and obviously he was Wicked in Return of the Jedi. And he's gone on to do other bits and pieces, but he even has a bit of dialogue in this one because normally he's just in the background farting about. Yeah, he is, isn't he? Yeah, I thought we might just get R2 and C-3PO in the background of like... Um... Would make boys uh cloud thing, whatever it is, is a yacht, but now they don't appear. But like I say, there was no reason for them, it would have just not fitted in with the story, really, would it? No, I do like this sort of the double bluff that Han does, where he takes it in, like knowing that um Beckett was going to betray them and that. And then, like, he said, Oh, but um, Dryden's like, Oh, it looks just like the real thing, thinking it's obviously fake coaxium. And then he sends his goons out and stuff, and then it turns out that all along it was the real stuff, and then um. Fucking uh, Beckett's got a good line in this one because he like shoots two of like um, Dryden Voss's guards and he's like, what are you doing? I'm thinking and I like to be the only man with a blaster in my hand when I'm doing it. I just thought that's a really good line. <laughs> it is good, isn't it? Yeah, this whole double bluffing is quite cool. And um, when old Dryden's convinced it's fake stuff, he's like, I don't really know how you did it. I'd forgotten how this ended. And I did have the synopsis in front of me, but I've tried not to read too much of it ahead. And I was thinking, how did he fucking fake that? And obviously it turns out he didn't. And um, Dryden Voss was really playing the fire. Yeah, I thought um, the sort of like fight at the end, well, you can call it that. Like, obviously, you've got Emphasis Nest fighting like the goons and they make short work of them. Because Warwick Davis has got a rocket launcher that's bigger than him and manages to take a bunch of them out. Um, but then it's Kira who kills Voss and he's like waving his fucking daggers around. But he, he dies fairly quickly, doesn't he? Considering how sinister he's been up until this point, at least personality wise, um, she manages to take him down fairly quickly. Yeah, she does. Maybe she's more battle-hardened than him because he was more... I wouldn't say he was all mouth because the first time we meet him, he kills that guy, but that guy didn't look like much of a threat. So probably in the heat of battle, some of these people, I mean, you've got your own generals and stuff to do shit for you. You're probably not the best at doing it yourself, are you, I suppose? Yeah, and then obviously old Han goes chasing off after Beckett and then we get um, old Kira. She gets on the blower to fucking Darth Maul of all people, doesn't he? And he just sort of sat there chatting away to her. And there's a bit here that... I didn't think was needed. It's clearly just done because he is Darth Maul and they wanted to show it. But he's talking to her and he's like, oh, yeah, come to Darth Maul and we'll, you know, we'll do something. And then he, like, pulls his lightsaber towards him and lights it up. And one, you're a hologram, so you're not going to threaten him. And he's like, you and I will be working much more closely. And it's like, why did you need to light your lightsaber up? But what is that even achieving at this point? Did they just want to get a lightsaber into the movie somehow? Absolutely. I thought the same thing. Yeah, probably. It was Disney thinking we can sell some more of those jeweled lightsabers again if we just make it appear in this film. There's no point in him getting it out at all, but he does. So, yeah, fair enough. So now Han confronts Beckett and shoots him dead before he can return fire. Kira leaves in Voss's yacht, while Han and Chewbacca give the coaxium to Enfys, who, ordered Han, who um, offers Han a chance to join the rebellion against the Empire. He declines, and she gives him a vial of coaxium, enough to purchase a ship of his own. Han and Chewbacca locate Lando and challenge him to a rematch, once again wagering the Falcon. This time, Han wins in a fair game after having stolen the hidden card from Lando that he used to cheat his way to victory the first time. Han and Chewbacca then leave for Tatooine to find a crime lord mentioned by Beckett, who is putting together a big, profitable job. Uh, this bit here where he confronts Beckett, I thought it was brilliant because it brings it all back to the Han shot first moment to me, because... 
Becker obviously thinks that he's going to get the upper hand and Han just blasts him and fucking kills him, doesn't he? Yeah, I love that. Mid-sentence, isn't it? He's trying to sort of give Han this fucking talk and Han just shoots him. I thought that was great. Yeah, I really like that. <laughs> fucking Chewie just stood there like going, just sort of like watching everything fucking going back and forth. But then we get the whole kind of like his chat with like Enfys and everything and she's like, oh yeah, we need to do the rebellion and everything. And we know Han doesn't really care for rebellions or any of that sort of shit, really. He just wants to do his own thing, but it's just, again, it's like any excuse to drop in the kind of... There's a line she does, and it's almost like she looks at the camera and winks. It's so fucking stupid. She's like, it's, it's for something more. A rebellion sort of thing. Mm. It's like, yeah, we know you're, it's going to be a fucking rebellion and everything. You don't need to do it so on the fucking nose every time, so to speak. And it's like, it's just, again, like Disney just trying to push this stuff that we already know, but do it in a really shit way. Yeah, same thing here, Red Rob. Yeah. And then Kira just fucks off on the yacht, doesn't she? Just off she goes. And again, like you said, it's probably because they didn't know what to do with her character. So like, just get rid of her then. Off she goes. Yeah. And then obviously we see um, somehow uh, Han and Chewie managed to find Lando. And they obviously he steals his fucking card thing with a sweet handshake, wins the Falcon. And I do like obviously the closing shot as those two together. But again, they get this whole thing with like throughout the movie, he's had these like lucky dice and he hangs them up across the Falcon. And it's like, He's never had them in the original, and it's cool to give him like a little keepsake, but I wish there was something they could have tied in. Like, was there something that Han always had on him that, I don't know, like how he got his jacket? We know he got his blaster now and everything, but I wish they'd have tied it in with something that we know is iconic with that character. Yeah, good point. Maybe the blaster was the main thing, because that's one of the things you think of with Han and his obviously holster belt he wears and everything. But his blue jacket thing, definitely quite iconic. But when Han and Chewie go and find Lando, the reunion they have is quite similar to the one in Cloud City, isn't it? Obviously, the Cloud City one, timeline-wise, would have been later on, but just the way, I like, Lando tends to be hostile towards him at first. Yeah, yeah, it's good. And then, obviously, they hug and they laugh. And like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's all good, it's all good. And once again, Chewie's just in the background, like, looking hairy. Um, <laughs> but it is good. And, yeah, I think the two of them, they do, they have that sort of same chemistry that, um, obviously, the original actors had, um, Harrison Ford and... Um, is it Billy D. Williams, isn't it? Um, Williams, I just think yeah. they, they they work together pretty well on screen as those sort absolutely. of like frenemy type things. Yeah, absolutely. It's like Boise and fucking Delboy again, isn't it, really? <laughs> um, but I mean, the Falcon looks fine now, doesn't it? It's been done up again fairly nicely outside anyway. And off they go to see um, Jabba, obviously. We don't get mentioned by name, but that's who they're going to see, I assume. Yeah, I guess so. And I'm not actually sure how many years prior to A New Hope it's actually supposed to be set. I don't know the Star Wars calendar particularly well. Um, but yeah, I assume obviously he, he forges his reputation. This can't just be like the first job he does for Jabba, then it's a new hope. There's got to be a bit of a gap between them, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, Jabba's obviously definitely got problems with him in a new hope. So you'd have thought he'd done more than one job for him. Maybe he did one and fuck it up, but you'd have thought probably not. But yeah, maybe we're not supposed to think into that a bit too much again. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, that is our look at Solo, a Star Wars story. So the only thing left to do now is to give this one some scores. And it's my turn to go first as it was my pick. So, um, yeah, let's see what we can do. So this movie, as I mentioned, when it first got announced um, and even up to the point where I first went to see it, I was a bit trepidatious because you know, obviously I love Han Solo, Harrison Ford, childhood hero and all that stuff. And I was really nervous about seeing what you know, someone else playing him was going to be like. I've got to admit, I was pleasantly surprised. I think the guy whose name I can't pronounce who played him um, did a pretty good job, to be fair. Um, it was never going to be perfect because it was just such big shoes to step into. And even as an actor, like, he must have known he was going to be up against it, you know, because 
just how do you follow someone like that and do that performance? You can't, but I think he did a good enough job of it. Um, the rest of the characters are really good in the movie. I thought Tobias Beckett was great. Uh, Donald Glover did a good job as um, Lando. I mean, Chewie's Chewie. Anyone a tall bloke in a fucking hairy suit can play Chewie, but it's good to see him on screen again. And there was a lot of foreshadowing and, you know, stuff that kind of builds the legend of what we know and love about Han Solo. I think they did it quite well. There's also some really pointless stuff in there, like the L3 character was just stupid. The four-armed alien was annoying. Um, yeah, there's a few bits that just don't seem to have gone anywhere. Like Kira was a good character for what she did, but we haven't seen anything about her or, you know, her connection to Darth Maul, at least not on screen or anything. Um, so I think that's a bit kind of wasted. But overall, I think the movie is pretty good. Um, it's got a lot of nostalgia factor into it. It's um, it's fun. It's quite fast paced in places. I thought the Kessel Run should have just been a fast paced chase instead of having old fucking squiddly diddly popping out of nowhere. But <laughs> what, what can you do, really? Um, overall, yeah, it's not a bad movie at all. Um, it's not great, but it's not bad. Um, so I think for me, I'm probably just going to have to go straight down the middle and give it a good strong three. Um, it's definitely a watchable movie and it's one of the better movies that Disney have done with their Star Wars license. They seem to do better with the spin-offs than the actual, the core series, as I think we've said before. But yeah, I don't actually mind this movie, so I'm going to give it um, three moof-milking udders, I think. Uh, what about yourself, JT? <laughs> oh, good stuff, Brad. Well, well, I'm going to echo pretty much what you just said there. <laughs> I'm giving too much away before I say it. Um, I was very wary of this film and it took me a while to even think about watching it and it's only because like I say I was doing a marathon I thought I'm going to have to watch it um, and I did enjoy it the first time around and I enjoyed it again earlier when I watched it um, and it is other than Rogue One the best of the Disney efforts I, I would say by quite a stretch um, there are some annoying characters in it but you're going to get that with these Disney ones now unfortunately it's the way it goes um, I thought as you said again echoing what you said he was really good as Han Solo. I'm not going to try and butcher his name. And he did as good a job as anyone could have done, I think. I mean, biggest shoes in movie history as far as I'm concerned to fill. And he left me feeling pretty happy about it. The other characters were really good. I'll tell you, old Woody Harrelson as Beckett, he reminded me of Yondu from Guardians of the Galaxy in some of his scenes. I don't know why. He just had that vibe about him. Um, I thought Donald Glover was really, really good. I thought he was excellent as Lando and probably the, the best of all the characters playing the sort of characters we knew, although he did look like a 70s pimp for some reason. Um, <laughs> Amelia Clark was really good as sort of being the Princess Leia replacement, obviously not the same character, but the uh, love interest for Han. Um, yeah, Paul Bettany, great villain. So yeah, couldn't fault any of the main cast. Um, Effects-wise, it looked great, but they always do these days. CGI fest, aren't they? Um and definitely better for Disney not trying to carry on the story and butchering it like they did with the, the main core ones, as you said. So I've got a bit of a love-hate relationship with these Disney things. Um, it's more hate than love, I have to say. Um, but I didn't hate this at all. So I'm going to be the same as you, Brad Roll, right down the middle. Three others for me, a strong three others. But what I will say, and this won't make sense to anyone, but it makes sense in my head. This is a good film with Star Wars in it rather than being a good Star Wars film. And I can't try and explain what I'm saying there because I'll just get even more confused. But yeah, three others for me, Brad Roll. I think I know what you mean. And yeah, I'd agree with um, that. But um, yeah, good score. Yeah, absolutely. And glad you kind of enjoyed it because I knew it was going to be a bit of a strange one to review considering how much we both obviously love Han Solo. That's one of the first things when we first met years ago. One of the first things we identified was we're both Star Wars fans and we both love Han, Han Solo. So I thought it was going to be an yeah. interesting one to discuss one way or the other. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, Han Solo and Indiana Jones, two of my favourite movie characters of all time, both played by the same person. But Harrison Ford, I know you listen to us. Please stop playing <laughs> Indiana Jones. Just, just give that a rest. Yeah, that's another one. I'm a little bit nervous. I don't know if I can bring myself to watch it, but part of me feels I'm going to have to one day just to see. But yeah, please, yeah. please, please leave the legend where it belongs with the the three Indiana Jones movies because we know there's not a fourth. Exactly. Shameless plug. We've done the original first three Star Wars films and all the Indiana Jones films. So go back through our back catalogue. Absolutely. One of the Indiana Jones films managed to feature, I think, Alice Cooper, Papa Shango, fucking God knows how <laughs> all, all is the same character. We couldn't figure out what he looked like. <laughs> I vaguely remember that. <laughs> but there you go. There's our look at us, Solo. And um, it'd be interesting to see if they, because Disney have now since said, I remember reading, like, because of the whole debacle with this movie and all the stuff they weren't unsure of. They're not going to recast any legacy characters again. So I don't know if this guy's ever going to come back and play Han again or anything, because they seem to be doing their de-aging technique, which is why we get Mark Hamill as a sort of PS2-looking Luke Skywalker in The Mandalorian at the moment. But, yeah, whether we see him, Kira, or anyone else again, who knows? It could just be a standalone movie. But it's good for what it is. Definitely worth a watch. And as JT said, there's uh, definitely one of the better ones that Disney have come out with, at least on the movie side of things. Absolutely. Yep. Couldn't say that better myself, Fred Roll. So there we are. Let us know what you think of um, our reviews. Do you think we'd scored this one fairly? What are your thoughts on this particular movie? I know it's a bit of a controversial one with the fan base, but to be fair, with Star Wars, everything's fucking controversial. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Everyone's moaning about something, aren't they? Somewhere along the line. But yeah, let us know what you think by getting in touch at the Hyperbaric Goats on Twitter. And join us next week as uh, we will be reviewing one of JT's choices, who is uh, going to let us know now what we're going to be watching. I had a few I was thinking about, but this one I think we need to do. It's another Guy Ritchie film, Bread Rolls. Operation Fortune, I think, Ruse de Guerre is the sort of subtitle. Um, oh. We've done a fair bit of Guy Ritchie, and older Jason Statham's in this one as well. It's popped up on Prime recently as a brand new release, and I think um, we, we're a bit of a fan of Guy Ritchie, so I thought we'd have a look at this one. Oh yeah, that's got um oh, I'm trying to think of his name now, it's just completely dropped off. Um is it Hugh Grant? He's in it as well, isn't he? Because he was in the gentleman as well, wasn't he? And he played a really yes. good character in that. Um yeah, I remember this movie, I swear it was a trailer like two years ago, and then it just seemed to vanish and now it's suddenly come out. But yeah, good show. Let's have a look at that one. I read why. I mean it might have been COVID, because obviously that was a big thing, but there is a reason why it just disappeared off the face of the earth and then it popped up on Prime. I don't think it ever hit the cinemas. Um Probably was COVID, but there might have been something else. But yeah, I mean, as you say, Hugh Grant was great in The Gentleman. Statham's always a bit of a laugh, and Guy Ritchie is pretty much always good. So yeah, let's see what this one's like. Yeah, it should be interesting, because I do find that, again, not being like anti-American or anything, but his more American-themed movies don't tend to be as good as his more mm. kind of British gangster-style movies. That could just be a personal preference, because obviously we're British, we get the lingo and the style a bit more, but... Be interesting to see if he kind of like cracks a nut a bit more with this one. Um, so yeah, looking forward to trying that one. Yeah, definitely. It's 18 rated, so fingers crossed it'll be uh, up to his normal standards. Oh, well, there we go. So as always, thank you very much for joining us. And this is Bread Roll signing off. Have me, JT. I've just got one last thing to say. Let me give you some advice. Assume everyone will betray you and you'll never be disappointed. <laughs>